When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. Mike DeMonte, welcome back to Somewhere in the Skies, my friend. How you doing? Oh, great, man. It's, it's good to be back. You know, it's usually every time I, I come on and talk to you, it's usually promoting something or, you know, you ask me to be on a guest or a panel. But I think this case, you know, it's we have so much free time on our hands and, uh, you know, we could create content out of multiple things. So there's, there's you know, multiple things that we can discuss that are in the works and things that are currently going on in the, you know, the world of UFOs and weird stuff. So uh, I think it was a really good opportunity time. I always love talking to you. Um, we don't get to talk often in this, you know, we text every once in a while and, you know, but it, it's 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 always good to kind of have this conversation, you know, because you never know when you're going to get the opportunity, if even again, to maybe meet in person. You know, like, who knows? So, Point, man. Yeah, yeah the so, world is uh, very uncertain in many ways right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, well, I guess we might as well touch on it. I know everyone's sick of talking about it. I'm sick of hearing about it, but we have to. It's, it's very important. It's omnipresent right now. Uh, COVID-19. So how are you dealing with this personally? And uh, how do you think it's affecting the UFO world? You just wrote an article over at Punk Rock and UFOs. Everyone should go check that out about how this is affecting the UFO community. But in general, how are you personally doing? How are you dealing with this? Everyone's dealing with it their own ways. So yeah, give it to me straight. Yeah, I mean, personally, like I said, I'm a teacher full time. So I don't have to worry about you know, income coming in because we get paid regardless. So I'm, I'm blessed in that regard to not to worry about that. I mean, there's still things I have to do work related, which are right now kind of all in in the works in terms of, you know, how we're going to be doing, providing online instruction and work for now. So it's, it changes day by day. So everything's very preliminary and vague. Yeah. But I mean, in terms of like staying in, like, you know, I think people need to get over it. It's not, not the end of the world. We still have internet. It's not, you know, we have it's not a natural disaster, you know, so if staying in is, it's not a, you know, it's not a big deal. You know, it could I'm, be much worse. Yeah. It could be much worse. So yeah, you know, if I have to stay in to avoid people getting sick, it's for, you know, myself or other people, that's so be it. You know, I think we have Netflix, we have books, you know, I have comic books, I'm practicing bass guitar. I've been actually, I, I, I modified our little guest room into like a workout room. So I've like made a little home gym. So like there's stuff to do, you know, and 
and there's stuff to do like this too. So there, there's things to, I think people, I think you're just really spoiled in terms of, Oh God, I can't go out. I can't go to the beach. I can't do this. And it's like, you know, it's not a natural disaster where, you know, you're still able to live within your realm. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. And I, for anyone out there who's still going out in public gatherings, um, first of all, what is wrong with you? And second of all, <laughs> not for you, but for everyone around you, just please just, just go home. Yeah. Just, be safe, be healthy, do it for that person who is immune deficient or that person who uh, has cancer or even the, the older demographic who seem to be suffering mostly from this. Uh, we now are hearing and learning that it's not just older people. A lot of younger people are getting infected and, um, and not doing so hot from it. So thinking you are invincible is no longer an option. So that's just my little public service announcement. But um. Mike, how is this affecting the UFO world? Tell us a little about this uh, recent article you wrote. So I, I wrote a very simple, short article just because I was thinking, you know, like all the stuff is breaking and there's some UFO research, you know, UFO researchers that we're, you know, friends with that are really on top of this. And they have been for months. Uh, Chris Walford is one of them. And at first he was posting all this stuff and I was just kind of rolling my eyes. I'm like, okay, let it just, you know, let it develop and we'll see from there. But uh, I mean, he was, he's been on top of it and a lot of other people have been as well. So I decided to do the story because I was thinking, I was like, you know, this is going to affect a lot of people. Like, I included uh, yourself in the, in the article because I know what you do for a living and I knew how you're going to be affected. But I also knew how this was hopefully will open up some potential more people donating to your Patreon for that bonus footage right now, too, because people are going to have time to do things, you know, and people who are already supporters of fans of yours, I don't think they would mind paying during this time to, to help you out and to not only that, you know, get, get some really cool content. Um, so I wrote the article for multiple reasons to kind of say, hey, look, there's some people in the UFO world who are doing this. You can maybe help them. But also, you know, it's affecting it this way, too. I'm trying to think, who else did I interview for that story? Oh, um, Seth Breedlove, because this was right around on the trail of UFOs was supposed to come out. Yeah. I mean, it's still coming out, but this is a great time to binge watch all of it as well. But, you know, obviously they, they had some festival appearances they had to cancel, so it affected them. And I also look at, like, some of the, the larger articles that, you know, Vice, you know, MJ had two Vice articles that were, you know, for us, for the UFO people, you're like, oh, wow, you know, those are those are big articles for us. But honestly, they, they got buried, if you think about it, in terms of everything else going on you know the the, the u.s army uh with the, to the stars and the crowd that story and then there was the, the skinwalker ranch owner like that was like oh that's so cool here's the owner and then it's like oh wait there's all this coronavirus stuff that kind of right. takes presence over this so it's like yeah. you know we, we, we had stories happening in the ufo world at the same time but you know as much as we love ufos i mean it takes a back seat to this to, to the, you know these these big stories oh absolutely like, man and i you know i try to remind myself like yeah it's fun to still talk about ufos because at the end of the day we need something to distract us if we're watching cnn or fox news 24 7 uh you're gonna go crazy become paranoid you're only seeing the negative effects of all this and there are there's a lot this is scary and it's dangerous and it's uncertain but at the same time i think a lot of us uh, you know, podcasters and YouTubers and all these people who generate content, this is their time to really shine because everyone's home. Everyone wants something to do with now the 24 hours of free time they've been given. So yeah, I think it was cool that you highlighted that. And it does show that even in the UFO world, uh, a lot of us have been affected in many ways by this. So you're, you'll probably see some podcasts just sort of teeter away and then you're going to see some coming up and um, it's going to be an interesting time for creators, I think, for sure. Um, but yeah, speaking of creating, before we get to some of the other articles on uh, punk rock and UFOs, 
I want to uh, maybe introduce you to some of my listeners uh, who aren't familiar with your work. Maybe a little about um, each of the books that you wrote. So uh, the first book, Punk Rock and UFOs, Cryptozoology Meets Anarchy, basically just looking at kind of what we study as an underdog science and how our belief systems accept some things or rebel against others. And the second book is definitely a built, on, built on that idea. Punk Rock and UFOs, True Believers kind of took that, but then looked at it through the lens of mythology and pop culture and religions and as well, not only that, um, I also wanted to kind of give the average reader, the person who's just picking this up, an idea of where we come from, too. So, I, you know, I, I feature some of the, uh, the people who research the, research the stuff and their stories, too, because for me, it was I really wanted the, the main point of True Believers is making the connection between the average person and people in the UFO community. You just say, hey, look, this is why you should care. These people care. And maybe you should, too. Um, so that book had a lot of different goals to it. What I was trying to say out and accomplish, but it was basically written where the everyday person could pick it up, read it, digest it, get it, and get where the UFO researchers and the paranormal researchers get where they're coming from, get how they started, and just to kind of find that commonality. And that kind of brings me to what I'm working on next, which is the third book, which hopefully finds a home uh, soon. It's it's like you write a book. Uh, I mean, you, you you written a book before. You know how it is, and you put it out, and you're like, oh, good, it's out. And then afterwards, you're like, oh man, I would have, I should have done that differently. Or I, I come from a journalism background, and you're used to journalism when you're writing news. You know, you want to get all the news in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, but you also write concisely. You don't write extra wordily. You know, you want to be, you know, very straight to the point. So my first few books were concise, but they were a little short. Like I think the second one clocks in at like under 170. So it's like, it's a light read. But what I'm working on now is like double that already. And it's not where it's not concise, where it's I'm writing about more things that you know, I'm building upon more things. And I think... yeah. As, as you know, as, as we grow as researchers and writers, and you're always learning, you're constantly learning, and you're seeing different sides to the paranormal stuff, and you start reading different books, and your your mind really expands. And I'm like, man, where was why wasn't I doing this when I wrote this book? So you, you kind of regret, oh, I wish I would have done that, you know, that that there. So what I'm working on now, it's definitely it's really kind of taking what the first two books did and really built on it. And uh, I mean, I'll get into more detail. Um, yeah, it's called it's, mind, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. It's the working title is called Stranger Than Fiction, which is one of the chapters in True Believers, and it's based off a bad religion song. It's called Stranger Than Fiction. And it re- it's really looking at how what we believe in and the stuff we study and how it truly is stranger than fiction. I'm using it to kind of draw parallels between fiction and nonfiction stuff that we've seen through the years. How, uh, you know, like we hate to say when, you know, we see people try to blur the lines in between, but the, the lines have been blurred since the beginning of time. You know, we just kind of you know, we've just kind of lost track of that. So the book's really looking at a lot of modern day pop culture and, and see where STEM originated from. And I'm, I'm using a lot of examples of historical illusions and it's really coming together very nicely. I'm, I'm, I spoke to a lot of different people that I didn't, in the previous books are, are unaware of and just, just researching in general. I was finding all these theories and that were out there that are academic theories too, that I really think help uh, strengthen the arguments made in the book and not the arguments, but the points. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where what I'm working towards now. Um, I think it's really cool because I think it's something where, once again, it's something where anyone can read it. Hey, you like Stranger Things? Cool, read this. Hey, you like comic books? This is right up your alley. Oh, you like UFOs? You like paranormal? Here, read this. This has all of this in one. So we'll see. I mean, fingers crossed um, that it, it sees the light of day. But I just started randomly working on it probably uh, I'm trying to think, a few months ago. And it just kind of 
snowball where I was like, I was looking past some of my punk rock UFOs articles I've done since the last book. And I was like, if I was to write another book, is there anything I can use in terms of people I've interviewed? And I was like, whoa, there's a lot of stuff I can use. And then going with some of the, the, the stuff I've read since then too, because, you know, like I said, we never stop learning. We're always discovering, you know, new books and you know, some of the, the researchers that we know, every once in a while, I'll see them post, oh, I'm reading this book for the first time. And to me, I'm like, oh, wow, you're just reading that? But I'm like, I do the same thing too. Like I'm just, you know, read uh, for the first time this year, um, Passport to Pagonia. And I should have read that years ago. You know what I mean? Welcome, like, yeah, I, welcome to my life, man. Yeah. I think I, I've tried to make it through that book about three times now, but it's <laughs> Jacques Vallée. It's very hard to yeah. breeze through a Jacques Vallée yeah. book. Oh, that's I, cool. I, I breeze through it. <laughs> oh, good, good. I'm glad one of us could. The hard part to me, and this sounds weird, you're gonna like probably find the opposite. I breezed through the folklore aspect of it, and then mm-hmm. as soon as it got to the part where it was just like UFO sightings, that took longer for me to do. Because it's basically just like detailing certain sightings. That's true, yeah. To me, that wasn't as exciting as the rest of the book. Like it was so cool, and I think it helps like t- in con- give it context, you know, the previous mm-hmm. stories, but I thought the other part was just r- really fascinating. Oh, interesting. Oh, well, we'll definitely have to have you back on after you dissect that one for sure. But um, no, I'm super excited, man. I, I've been waiting for sort of the, um, what would you call it? The, the third installment of the trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're reaching trilogy uh, level. That's awesome. Speaking of your articles, um, you just came out with another one recently that has to do with Jacques Vallée. And this was with Rice University, Whitley Strieber. What's going on with all this, man? Give it to me. Because when I first heard about this, it's like, what the hell? So yeah. yeah, what is Rice University doing with these pretty prominent UFO people yeah. that we know of? So when I first heard of this, you're like the first person that came to mind. I was like, man, Ryan would, would go crazy if he, if he saw it, you know, if he, if he knew about that. And I, I told you eventually. Too. <laughs> so about, I'm trying to think what it was. I think I, f- I found out about this about a year ago. A couple of years ago, I interviewed uh, Jeffrey Kripal for my book. He was the last person I interviewed for True Believers. He appeared in Brad Abrams' movie, uh, Love and Saucers. And mm-hmm. I was familiar with the name. And then when I realized that he lives in Houston, I was like, oh, oh man, I got to meet this guy. I got an interview. And uh, I met him in his office. I interviewed him. I thought it was really cool. I got his book. And his book blew me away, uh, Mutants and Mystics. And since then, I've developed a, a small friendship with him. You know, like we keep in touch. And he invited me when, uh, when was it? In November, when Leslie Keene came to speak to his classes. And and then, um, you know, like I said, we have email correspondence and, you know, we just kind of remain friendly. And he invited me to talk to his class, which I did uh, a few weeks ago at Rice, right before everything shut down, because he teaches a class kind of based off his book, Mutants and Mystics. So that was a real honor to kind of be invited to speak to his class. And I really think he is definitely one of the most underrated people uh, in the field when it comes to this stuff. Uh, I mean, he really gets it. And the fact all these big names uh, have his respect and also are trusting him with these archives, that, that says something. Mm-hmm. Um, so Professor Kripal is a great guy and he told me about this kind of in passing last year like he's very low-key about this stuff because to him it's like I mean to us we would kind of geek out about it he's like oh yeah um, we're working on a paranormal conference and uh, Whitley Shriver and Jack Vallee are going to be here and I'm just like wait what? <laughs> like, oh yeah, it's to, to watch the archives. I'm like, wait, what archives? It's like, oh yeah, we're housing Whitley Schreiber's letters. But that's all he said at the time because okay. he was just like, oh, I, I just have Whitley, Whitley Schreiber's letters. So I mean, he's collaborated with them. He's been friends with, with Whitley for years. So I knew they were cool, but basically he has all the letters that Whitley Schreiber sent to him, all the notes, all the correspondence. He just told me, oh, it's the Schreiber letters. And, and then he was like, oh yeah, it's the Schreiber letters, it's Jacques Vallée. And I'm like, wait, what? Like... <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, he's just very nonchalant about this. And what I learned from working with his students on the article I did, you know, he's like that with them too, because like he's just very like nonchalant about it. So after um, I spoke to his class, I, I did the article about the archives. I've known about this for over a year. I just he didn't want it being promoted yet because I mean, there's a lot of name big names going. Like I said, Jacques Vallée. Um, I mean, tentative. It's supposed to be in October, but who knows at this point? Right. I think it's going to be then. But I mean, it's Jacques Vallée, uh, Whitley Shriver, um, Ed May, Diane Pasalka are all going to be there. I'm trying to think who else. Uh, Leslie Keen's going to be there. Um, I'm supposed to moderate a panel. I think I'm moderating Leslie Keen's panel, so which would be really cool. Fingers crossed. And this is all still going on. I know, man. I know. Uh, so it's really cool because the the library the library rice is, is housing the archives, and he has so in the, the library has students who basically work as archivists, and that's why I, I basically the point of the story was to like say, hey, this thing exists. This conference is happening, and here's kind of a little bit behind the scenes. And I provided some photos, and I mean, I, I really could have been there all day if I wanted to, just because it's like there's so much stuff, and I, and I really can't communicate this the easiest way. But it's like it's overwhelming how much stuff is there and what's there. And you know, you saw so if you look through some of the photos, some of the photos are kind of vague, but it's like they have your Yeller's experiments. They have all the data, wow. the raw data. They have the spoon he he uh, he bent. I think that was one of the photos I took. Okay. And, uh, they have Ed May, who was a scientist for NASA, they have his Stargate project stuff. Oh, it's, yeah, yeah. yeah it's crazy. It's all like written on like like paper, some of it, and some of it's typed up. So like what they're doing right now is they're archiving it. They're doing it digitally. They're alphabetizing it. Like they're go, there's so much stuff for them to go through. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why, you know, October is the goal. Yeah, like what is theirs? And it's it's crazy to me. Like when I was there that day, Schreiber and Valet stuff was taking, like sometimes they take them off site to archive it, then they bring it back. So when I was there, the Valet and the Schreiber stuff was missing. Uh, but one of the guys, like, hey man, come back anytime in the summer. You can look at it. Who knows? <laughs> That's up in here at this point. Yeah. But I, the stuff I was able to look at, I mean, there's there's some stuff that probably shouldn't have been. I'm trying to I'm trying to say this without getting in trouble, but there's some stuff in there that like you would think that shouldn't be out of the open. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Because like the people who who don't believe that the CIA, you know, did any of the remote viewing or telekinesis. I mean, it's there. I saw I saw the data. I saw the experiments. I'm not trying to sound like I'm cool or special because I saw it. Because these college kids are looking at it every day when they're archiving it, and some of them are, are really into the stuff like we are. And some of them are just kind of like interested in paranormal. Some of them are, are just uh, students of his of one of his classes. You're like, oh, okay, whatever, it's a job. Like some of them don't understand like how cool it is. And then uh, others kind of geek out. So it's like one of the guys I interviewed, I think the Cody said to me, it's like, yeah, it's a job. Every once in a while, he, he has to like stop in his tracks and like, okay, I need to look at this. You know? <laughs> yeah, so, they have no idea how lucky they actually are. Yeah. So what's happening at Rice, it, it is a very comprehensive, very important archive for all these all these people. I mean, like I said, Schreiber Valet, there's some of the, the telekinesis experiments, uh, Edna Stargate. And there's one other person, I forgot his name. It's in the story. I'm just drawing blanks right now. But there's just so much stuff that's going to be there. I really think, I mean, Rice University is a very prestigious university. And it's also a very sought after school for students to go to uh, as well. But I think this is going to make it a destination for people, visitors. I mean, this is going to be open to the public. You know, so I think for anyone who comes into Houston, who's into this stuff, I think they're going to want to go to Rice University and check check this stuff out, considering it's going to be open to the public eventually. That's the goal. So I just talked a lot. I'm sorry. I just kind of rambled on. But yeah, oh, that's God, what they're doing. Man. That's awesome. I mean, I'm like sitting here just drooling, thinking yeah. <laughs> I can go to go there and actually see this stuff. Well, I'm excited, and like we said, hopefully, all things considered, when things start to get a little better, that people can get out there and see that because I think that is a treasure trove alone. Um, well, you 
are dropping articles like crazy, man. You dropped one literally hours before we are recording this right now. And um, you did an article about NDEs, near-death experiences, and uh, paranormal beliefs and everything. This was pretty cool. I mean, this was the sort of punk rock or cryptozoology paranormal side of your your website, where we're moving away from UFOs, maybe, maybe, um, but how how belief systems work and all this. So could you tell us a little about this most recent article that you wrote? This is fascinating. Yeah, so when I was researching for uh, the book, I was looking at you know, different academic takes on paranormal. And, and the more uh, the more I study this, it's like there's so many connections we can make from everything, from UFOs. And when Leslie Keene was here and she did her, you know, you just met with her recently too. I know she was on the show. And one of the things I asked her, you know, is this a logical next step from UFOs to near-death experiences? And that's, a, I think, a question that needs to be asked because there's so much parallels between everything we study and that and uh, life after death, consciousness, like it's, it's all one thing. And this is something I've heard from many people, you know, uh, Professor Pryor's other one. He's like, they're all connected. And he's very nonchalant about it too. He's like, oh, this is, it's all the same thing. And I mean, so many of the people that we respect kind of feel the same way too. It's, it's, it's all one phenomenon. What that is, we still don't know. But I think the more we kind of look into it, it's like this is all connected somehow. So when I was looking into some of the theories and hypotheses people were uh, coming up with, this, uh, the name came up of Gregory Shushan. And I looked him up and uh, he, he's done two books about the afterlife and near-death experiences. And uh, not only that, he was quoted in quite a few of the academic papers I was reading. And he does a really good job of explaining some of these theories. Uh, one of them is called a... Uh, I'm drawing a blank right now, but there's two different hypotheses on on how people culturally interpret experiences. And one of the uh, a guy named David uh, Huffer basically it's the, it's the old hag thing, right? Where mm, yeah, 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 yeah. You've heard that, right? How it's, yes. it's called one thing, China is called another thing, yeah, and. David Houston had a really good take on that. So I wanted to interview him just because for my book, but I was like, you know what? The NDE thing, you know, I just wrote an article about that with Leslie Keene. You just had her on recently. So this stuff is still kind of in the UFO news sort of as kind of, because the paranormal stuff and the UFO stuff is really kind of merging together as we see a lot more uh, these days. So it's all kind of one under the same umbrella. So I interviewed, I, I emailed him months ago, about a couple months ago, but he was out of town and he finally got the answers back to me. But he was really cool, uh, really nice. He was on vacation and he, he, he has a punk rock background somehow, too. I don't know how, but I mean, he, he didn't tell me, but he was like, oh, yeah, I, I like punk rock. It's funny because, I mean, he has a bunch of different PhDs and as well. So it's really interesting because he really has uh, a really good take on the paranormal and near-death experience and how it how it cross-culturally connects. But he's also very – he has he looks at it very skeptically, too. It's like, okay, these are people's beliefs. It doesn't necessarily mean it's proof. So I think he looks at it very objectively. And one of the things he said in the interview was, you know, he – he tends to question everything. And uh, it's like, man, that's one of the first things that I learned in journalism is you should question everything. Right. So yeah, that article just came out today. And I, I think it's, it's a good read because right now people need stuff to read and it'd probably take a while to read it because it's funny. Like when you interview people, when I interview you or uh, like academics, like it's funny because I'm usually like you, you interview people too, but you do it where it's like on a podcast or on a, or a video. Like I know, I know sometimes you interviews and you do stories for Rogue Planet. But you, do you ever notice when you and some like other people give quotes, y'all write novels? And I don't mean that as a bad thing, but it's, you know what I mean? It's like when you're not used yeah. to constantly writing it. So like every time you interview, like in print, somebody like in the academic world, they always take yeah. some 
because they write you novels. So yeah. <laughs> the answers are very long. But your answer, your answers are long because they're very well thought out. And like you answer like the question in the question, which is a, a uh, it's just a, a mark of a talent. You know what I mean? Oh, well, I was, I was going to say, I come from a playwriting background yeah. and you can't shut us up and <laughs> start writing dialogue. So that I'm going to go with that over um, having very good, talented things. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, like, so, like you do on-air stuff too, you know how yeah. it works. Yeah, so, but yeah, just like so anytime you usually interview people in academia, when you, you ask for quotes, you know, when I think you ask for quotes, you know, I'm thinking in a journalistic way, like, you know, a few sentences tops. Lines, yeah. Yeah. They're, but then they reply back with like three paragraphs per question. <laughs> yeah. What do you so, do so, in that case? I mean, how yeah. can you summarize something an academic says in like a concise way? I, I, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Well, it's, it all depends on the context of the article. Like this one was like a Q&A format, so it was easy. I put all his answers in there. But for the book, because I'm using some of his quotes in my book too, I mean, I'm kind of trying to copy edit and do it where you're not changing what they say. You just make it more concise and pick and choose what you can use here. Hey, y'all. Ryan Sprague here. As you all know, the Somewhere in the Skies podcast is always free to consume, but it isn't free to create. That's why I've started the Somewhere in the Skies Patreon campaign. On a monthly basis, you give what you think the show is worth. You'll be helping the show continue, grow, and to be something truly communal. And remember, there are rewards for each level of contribution, and the list is only growing. So please, help Somewhere in the Skies now by becoming a patron. To contribute and to learn more, visit www.patreon.com backslash somewhere skies. Thank you for your support. And now... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. On with the show. But yeah, um, that story just kind of fell fell into my lap today because you got back to me with the questions yesterday. I will. I definitely suggest people check that one out. Like you said, I think these worlds are really starting to become much more malleable when it comes to connections and everything. And um, one group who's done that really well, I think, I'm kind of shameless promoting them right now, is uh, the guys over at Planet Weird and the girls over at Planet Weird 
Greg and Dana Newkirk, Connor Randall, uh, Carl Pfeiffer. Um, all these guys came out with uh, Hellier season two. And I know it's going back a little bit, but you did write a review of season two of Hellier. And I'd love to sort of revisit that with you for a moment like about um, your personal thoughts on the, this show, um, how they mixed the supernatural, the paranormal, with the euphonauts and, um, and the connections that they came up with. And also the way that sort of paranormal television is going. This is unlike anything we've really seen before is what these guys have done. I think Seth, Seth Breedlove is sort of doing the same thing where they're, you're, they're taking the reins and saying, you know, forget about these huge networks with the restrictions. Like, let's do solid in investigations and research. So, yeah, I guess give us what you got. What did you think of Hellier season two? And what do you think about this sort of new movement for independent paranormal television? I think, uh, well, I'll start with the, the new movement of independent paranormal television because years, not years, uh, months ago, I did this really big comprehensive article about how media is portraying UFOs in terms of like what we see in, like, in television. And I got uh, quotes from a lot of big name you know, producers who work on, you know, some of them who work for uh, CW, some of them who work for uh, A&E, uh, some other pr- production people. But I also wanted to get the independent voices too, and I got I interviewed Seth and Greg Newkirk as well, and just to you know have that balance. And I thought that was uh, I really want I really worked hard on that article because I wanted to have a lot of a lot of perspectives because there there are two sides to it. But I mean I think definitely what you know the DIY aspect that Seth and uh, Greg Newkirk are doing is just amazing. Uh, I was blown away by everything they do, and when I watched Hellier season one, I was like, what is this? Like this is amazing. And I think season two really blew my mind. It really, they were referencing books that I had that I haven't read that I saw referenced other places. And there's just so many connections that Hellier makes. And I'm not trying to exaggerate it, but I, I think in terms of tying paranormal UFOs, I think this is going to be, when it's all said and done, I think this is going to be a very important, it's going to be a very important piece of the puzzle. I think, I think Hellier, in my opinion, like for me, like, and I'm not just, I'm not just saying this because I really enjoyed it. I mean, yeah, I was blown away by it. And I had the opportunity to meet Greg uh, about a month ago. He was in Houston for a film festival, and I, I got to meet him and uh, have dinner with him. And he's such a nice guy, and I'm, I'm glad to call him a friend now. But even before that, you know, I was like, man, like, I want to meet this dude. Like, I want to, like, you know, pick his brain just because about the show stuff, not just, you know, the behind-the-scenes stuff, but, like, you know, what it was like. And I mean, it was just great talking to me. He's such a nice, nice, nice guy. Um, so all the success that they're getting is well-deserved. But in terms of the things that they're hitting on, you know, I was playing this around in my head, and it'd be like it's imp- it'd be impossible to hoax some of, some of this because you'd have to read every book on all these subjects somehow make it connect, and then somehow have this uh, this this element of investigation to it. So, like to me, I mean, it's, it's a mind blowing uh, show. And I remember when I was watching, like, there's sometimes like where I watched it, I was getting uncomfortable. Like, man, should I be watching this? Like, am I, am I part of something like larger? Yeah. And like, the Green Man stuff was crazy because like it's everywhere now. And when I was talking to Greg, when I had dinner with him, I was like, dude, like, I was just watching Sabrina, the uh, season three, and Green Man's the main villain. Like, Pan is like showing up everywhere in pop culture. And it's just like a weird thing. And, and I remember I was in Mutants and Mystics, uh, Professor Kripal's book. He references this book uh, at Adorfa, which I have that I've never read. But I'm just sitting on my bookshelf collecting dust until now. Now I'm actually going to start reading it. And they reference, and when they referenced that in, um, uh, in Hellier, I was like, holy shit, this is oh, my audio goes. Oh, totally. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, like, I can't believe, because it's a very obscure book. It really is. But I mean, this is a fictional book, but it's in the 1800s, it's talking about the Greek goddess of the earth in Kentucky. 
and goblins and the, these these white beings in Kentucky. Like, who would think to write about that in Kentucky then? You know what I mean? Right. So right. there's just so many parallels that it draws, and it really got me inspired. Like, I mentioned Hellier all the time now to people. I'm like, dude, you have to watch it. Before uh, before spring break, we had a day at work. I teach full time, so we had a development day where we were able to teach the teachers something. But we had no kids, and I did a little lesson on UFOs and paranormal, and I talked for about 15 minutes just about Hellier because I thought, you know what, if I'm gonna get weird, I'm gonna throw them the weirdest stuff. Uh, and, and then one of one of my coworkers, uh, really cool, but she's also, you know, like I would never ever expect her to buy any of this. She's like, yeah, you know what you said about, you know, the goblins and stuff? She's like, growing up in Mississippi, you know, that's the Appalachian area. She's like, I used to see little trolls on the farm. And my cousins used to see them too. And I'm like, I would never expect her in a million years to come up and tell me this story. Um, so it's kind of mind-blowing. And so, yeah, what I'm writing now in, in the book, there's a lot of, in the book I'm writing, there's a lot of Hellier-ish stuff, a lot of my own personal theories and beliefs. Because, like, it really, it tied into a lot of stuff that I was, um, I was reading separate to Hellier and some other theories I had too. Like there's just so many parallels. Um, so I think Hellier is going to be massively important. I know that sounds like an over-exaggeration, but I think for the people that get it, you know, it's, it's important. Yeah. It's like that meme that goes around. If you know, you know. Yeah. And I think that that's very true. I think anyone who watches Hellier gets this sense of now being a part of it in their own unique ways, their own personal ways they start making synchronicities and connections, which are deeply personal things to begin with and how it might lay in this big scheme of things. And um, I I think when I had Connor and, uh, and Greg on the show, they felt as though they were being initiated into something bigger than them. And I feel like every person who sees this show is now initiated as well, whether you want to be or not, or whether you believe you are or not. So yeah, I'm excited to see where it goes. I know they're um, already getting so many new leads after the second season came out. So I'm sure we haven't seen the the last of Hellier and uh, the last of what the new Kirks are up to. So I'm looking forward to whatever comes next with them. One thing I was going to add to that, well, two little things. It's kind of, I just kind of thought about this a second ago when you said how they're kind of initiating. They felt like you know being initiated. You know, what if? And this kind of just popped in my head. You know, like how like the book encounter is something in UFO. Yeah. What if this is like a, a modern version of that? That's a really good point. Yeah. Would you like mind digital... actually describing that to my listeners? Right. I don't know if many people know what the book yeah. initiation actually is. Yeah. So it's this idea where you're specifically drawn to a book for a reason um in terms of ufology it's kind of like there's a reason why you're reading that specific book at um, that time yeah at that time yeah and it's weird because like when i first time i read that i had to think about it for a minute and i was like wait did i did i have something like that i think we all have in some point i know your sighting was what sparked you know your interest but for me before i was interested in this before i saw something and then my sighting made me want to like reinvestigate it again but I just remember why was I drawn to those books at such a, at a young age? So it's really fascinating. And then another thing I was going to add um, to that, which I just forgot, right? <laughs> so we were talking about um, book initiation. We will connect these dots. Book initiation, um, Hellier, watching it. I was going to add something to that. What was it? Well, here's my little gremlin while we're at it. Very cool. No. Adorable, adorable baby. <laughs> That's yeah. You know, here's oh, what it was. yeah. In episode, I think it's, I don't remember the episode, but it's the episode where they, they mentioned uh, Edadorfa. And the lead they got um, regarding that was actually from one of Professor Kripal's students. Really? Said that to, he said that to the Hellier guys. And uh, 
And he said, he's like, yeah, I was the one who did that. And he wants to try to book them in, uh, in the festival in November, hopefully. So, because oh, okay. he's like, he, because like we follow each other on social media. He's like, oh, yeah, I saw you met with Greg. I'd love to have him. He's like, oh, yeah, I was the one who sent them the, I'm like, whoa, like mind blown. <laughs> like, so it goes to show you that like there's some college students who were watching this and who were, who were able to kind of draw these connections and some of these, uh, these obscure books. Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool, man. Again, worlds colliding. As yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, um, all right, we got to move to the elephant in the room, not COVID, but Tom DeLong. So much has happened since you and I last talked in terms of yeah. to the Stars Academy and uh, everything Tom DeLong is doing, all the tweets that he deletes uh, after like <laughs> eight hours. So where do you, Mike DeMonte, one of the biggest Blink fans I know, <laughs> I know the feeling, my man. Uh-huh. I grew up with them. Um, Angels in Airwaves is awesome. Where do you stand today with To the Stars? We got, like you mentioned earlier, we got the whole Crowder thing. Now they're working with the U.S. Army, which makes a lot of people really uh, hesitant about what are the real motivations behind all this. So what do you think, man? Where do you stand in 2020 today when it comes to what To the Stars promised or even what their mission statement said and what they're doing today, I guess. It's a big loaded question, but yeah, take your time. (laughs) Uh, No, I mean, so I think it's the same how I felt then. You know, I think we're supportive of their efforts. These things are going to take time. Is everything that we expect going to happen? Probably not. But, you know, uh, people don't understand how small they really are. Um, It is a really small operation. People don't get that. They think because of who's involved, you know, that it is just this giant cash machine and there's so many people working and that's really not the case. One of the things, uh, I mean, like I said, my my opinion really hasn't changed. Just whatever's going to happen, I think it's going to happen. And then people need to not realize too that everything Tom Belange tweets is not to the stars word. You know, it's not like an official thing. People don't get that. They go off the rails just about what he was deleting. They, oh, Tom wants a new world order. And it's like, dude, that's not what he said. It's, it's just crazy how people, like, cause here's the thing. A lot of people in the UFO community, they don't, they didn't follow Tom before this. I right. covered, I've covered his career. Like, you know, when I was a music journalist at the Congress, I know how Tom operates and he's, he's been doing this stuff for years regarding music. So now it's about UFOs. He's yeah, so people takes what he's saying as word. You know, he said years ago that Angel Airbrave is going to be the biggest band in the world. Okay, I mean, obviously that hasn't happened, but like he, he, no one was crucifying him for that. Like, like you know, some of the people in the UFO community are over his, you know, his idealistic tweet about you know having a one nation. And I mean, this isn't new. Go back to listen to some of the Angels and Airwaves lyrics. Go back to listen to even some of the Blake songs. I mean, these themes exist in those songs. So nothing he's saying is new. Um, it's just it's new to some people. But I'll, I'll do share a, a, a couple of stories that kind of gives me more of a perspective on how So the Stars kind of uses stuff. And this is back in September, I think. Yes, yeah, so, so September. Angels and Airwaves was doing their show in uh, Austin. And I went up for it. Obviously, I mean, I'm a big fan. And I did the uh, the meet and greet stuff before the show. And I was able to give Tom my book. And yeah, he, he, was, he was cool. He was nice. And later on at the show, Steve, Steve Justice was there. I was like, oh, my God, Steve Justice. like crazy um, a rock show. that's pretty- yeah and like i mean a lot of the to the stars crew was there like tom's assistant was there a few other people um and i spoke to steve justice for a few minutes and he, you know he was really nice and the thing i told him was like hey look you know i'm a journalist i'm not an investor because you know there's that'd be a conflict of interest and uh he was really like understanding of that and he was very supportive of the support that they get through the ufo community one thing um, I, I, one thing I was able I was able to draw a distinction though. At the same time, there's a reason why they're so separate from it. And I think when you're, and it's not like an arrogance thing or a cockiness thing, but it's like think about 
their background, where they come from, all the people, you know, and I'm not saying that, you know, you, you have a community like bottom feeders and that's, that's not what I'm saying at all, but think about it. I mean, they don't necessarily for what their goal is, you know, their goal is to cut as a more mainstream thing. You know, they don't need our support hundred percent. You know what I mean? It's nice to have it, but I think that's a reason why if you look at who they do press to, there's a reason why they only deal with mainstream media outlets. Right. You know, if they really wanted to, you know, they, they could come on your podcast. They could grant me an interview, you know, um, if they really wanted to extend that olive branch. But I don't think they're doing it in a way that's being like vindictive or like snobby. I think it's just like, look, we don't, you know, we, we just want to reach, you know, these, these mainstream outlets and then kind of go from there. Or we could yeah. do the, 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 the black vault route and then just bash Louis Alzando until he has to come on and defend himself. But that's... <laughs> It's an it's an approach. It's an approach. What can I say? Hey, we love you, John Green. I'm not trying. I'm not trying to. I know. I'm not trying to take shots. Um, you know what I mean, though. Um, but it's like you know. And then I got more perspective back in December. They they came. They played in Houston, and I I met Tom again before the show, and I asked if he had my book, and he did. And he says, "Yeah, I've I've read through. I haven't read the whole thing." And uh, I I brought up that I interviewed Kevin Day and. Sean Cahill, and he's like, yeah, uh, keep it. He's like, keep up the good work. And what I got from that was, is that they're aware of what we're all doing. They may not acknowledge it all the time. They're aware of what we're all doing, but it doesn't change the trajectory of what they're doing, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Again, I, I think what people have to understand is this is one company. This is one yeah. uh, perception of the phenomenon. And yeah. Tom has his own personal beliefs aside yeah. from what To The Stars is doing. So I think you bring up a good point. To The Stars is one way to approach these phenomena and uh, these ways of doing it. Can they reach the mainstream unlike most of us? Yeah, of course they can. But that doesn't change the fact that there's so many UFO researchers out there doing their own work, uh, continuing to interview witnesses. It's not like these Navy Tic Tacs are the only UFO sightings that have happened. People are still having UFO sightings all over the world. So I think you're right. I think it's good to remember, you know, Tom DeLong doesn't owe us anything and also vice versa. We're all in this for answers for ourselves. So if you're an investor, that's a whole different story. If you don't feel like you're getting what you paid for, whole different story. But Tom DeLong does not owe the UFO community anything in my personal opinion. Yeah, and, and I, I see that. It's, it's weird because like, I thought those interactions with uh, Steve and the, the two with Tom and you know, in the early parts of the fall really kind of put to the stars, I mean, in terms of their, their trajectory into, into perspective. Because you know, this whole time I've been trying to get you know to talk to some of them to no avail. Even though it's like, man, I've had relationships with you know in the past with some of the, the handlers. It's like, well, why can't I get this interview now? And it's frustrating. It's frustrating for me as a journalist. It's like, look, man, I used to work for you know this top four media organization. Now I run this little blog, but it's like, hey, look, I'm legit. Hey, look at me. You know, it's kind of like that. You know, you get kind of frustrated. But at the same time, though, it's like, look, I'm not Vice. I'm not Washington Post. You know, uh, not CNN, not New York Times. So I think. A lot of people in the FO community, it's kind of like a blow, the blow to their ego, too. Like, hey, why won't you talk to us? You know, and it's like, I wish they would. But at the end of the day, you know, their goal is is beyond that. You know, it's it's these mainstream media outlets. When they do press, they don't do press often. They really don't. And a lot of times it's done through news releases, too, which right. a lot of companies and organizations do. A new, the goal of those news releases that they send out, that they do on their website, or they email people on the mailing list, is to basically just say, hey, this news is out there then journalists can take that right on it and then pursue a story from there. So that, that's the goal of those news releases. And yeah. I think that's the magic that they do a lot of their, their press quote unquote press through those news releases. Right. And I think, 
No, I was just going to say they, and they only come out with a press release or a story when something has happened, yeah. when something big is going to, you know, shake the foundation of UFO research or uh, discoveries they've made. So yeah, I think it's good if we're just getting these like tiny teases like Tom had done for so long, that's when people get frustrated. I think now they've made a concerted effort to be like, if we have nothing to say, why the hell say it? So yeah, we know when we see a new official to the stars statement on something, something big probably happened. So yeah. Yeah, and I think part of that too is you know maybe they're not allowed to say something say something yet. You know, there's Good point. Are the results in yet? No, or maybe we can't publish this yet. I mean, people just have to have to realize these things don't happen overnight. And I know it's not happening as fast as some people would like, but it's like I'd rather have them be accurate than first, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. So it's like let them do their thing. We have so many other things to occupy ourselves in the meantime. Right. Uh, Unidentified season two is shooting now, so hopefully we'll have that you know to hold us over. Maybe some of the results will be in that show and. People may want to bash them for using a TV show as the outlet to present this information. Well, so be it. That's on History Channel. It's on a mainstream network, you know? Yeah, where you're going to reach the most people and get it out there. And honestly, like, anything they do, whether they mean to or not, affects us as Mm -hmm. UFO researchers uh, for the good. I mean, I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me after seeing Unidentified or after uh, reading the New York Times article by Leslie Kane. It's astounding the amount of people who came to us and were now looking for answers when they didn't give a crap about ufos only a month before that so these things do have a trickle effect and if you're not sitting down having a beer with tom DeLong, that's whole that's a whole different story um but what he's doing is affecting our work whether we like it or not so I love it. I love, I still support everything they do. And like you as a podcaster or a quote unquote UFO journalist, I too want to remain objective. So no, I have no stake in the company. If it goes away, so be it. If it stays awesome. I can't wait to see what they come out with next, but it's definitely, it's definitely provided us with enough chatter online, Mike. And I want to ask your opinion on this. Hashtag UFO Twitter. Now, this has become kind of an official thing. Just like most things, it started from the ground up and people started using it as a hashtag when they're talking about UFOs. But it's like now this new movement and it's got a big following. So I got to ask your opinion, having taken part in a a like almost like a video about UFO Twitter, what it is, what it represents. I too just contributed a video to their next installment. What do you make of this? Hashtag UFO Twitter. What's going on on there? And uh, do you think it's good, bad, somewhere in between? Yeah, what do you think? Oh, there's some people who are really good at it. Uh, Danny Silva is always uh, really good on tweeting. Uh, Joe Mergia. There's quite a few players that are con- you know really pushing the conversation. Uh, UFO Jesus. So yeah, taking part in that video was pretty cool just to kind of see what everyone thinks about it. And like what I said in the video, it's like there's two sides to it. There's the the really cool side where people are able to talk about this subject and share stories and, and then there's the bad side where there's this negativity, you know, which is just kind of reflective of the UFO community in general. You know what I mean? Of this constant infighting. So at one point it kind of creates more 
more infighting and then but it also creates some friendships along the way so i mean i think it's just like any you know twitter you know like nba twitter or hockey twitter you know what i mean or like anything that people follow you know there's going to be the good and the bad but i mean it's just just another outlet of the community and but, i mean i'm thinking like if i'm somebody who let's say if i work for the history channel or if i work for to the stars i don't think i'm going to be looking too much at ufo ch- twitter in terms of the saying in terms of like the discourse of moving things forward because it's like I said there's a lot of things that would personally turn me away if I was looking at that you know just some of the behaviors and some of the the constant fighting so I think that there, I think it's cool that some of us researchers get involved in it every once in a while like I'll chime in I try to do less of that than I used to just because it's like I notice like the people who who do podcasts and websites and articles and stuff I think you know a lot of times we have our fingers tied in that Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think it's good. Sometimes I think when we're, we're bored, it's cool to kind of engage in UFO Twitter and have these conversations. But I think it's other times, just, hey, let's do work and then let our work speak for themselves. Then people can make conversations based off the work. I think that's really cool, too, when one of us does work and then it becomes a conversation piece. I think that's a really good aspect of UFO Twitter. You see like these big threads. And I, th- I think that's uh, that's definitely a positive for sure. But uh, like for me, I think UFO Twitter is cool. I don't engage in it as much as I probably used to. Or even at all. I mean, every once in a while, I guess I'll chime in. I don't know if I'll use the hashtag, but I think it's cool. I think that a lot of the people involved in it are good dudes. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're passionate. That's the word I would use. And we need more of that. I mean, before UFO Twitter happened, before To the Stars happened, I'm going to be honest, the UFO field was boring as shit. (laughs) And it was stale. And we're talking about Roswell and Rendlesham. And don't get me wrong, like those are my favorite cases. And the the case history is what we thrive on. But um, we were always looking for something new to shake things up. And I think it's happening. And uh, when that shift happens, you do start to see a lot of the older guard, as it were, uh, start to get a little hesitant. And like, what is this? What, what's going on? Uh, Not a, not in my backyard sort of. (laughs) But we love them. And I think if uh, the younger people can build off of the research that came before them, that's all we can ask for. And there are some really good conversations going on over on UFO Twitter. So I definitely suggest people check that out. Well, to sort of wrap things up, Mike, I got to bring it back to, unfortunately, uh, COVID-19 and what we're dealing with, with this global pandemic Mm -hmm. in the world optimistically. We make it out of this, um, clearly not unscathed, but we find a way to get through these things. We always do. Coming out on the other side of it, do you think this is going to affect people's beliefs or uh, the way they interact or just the, the human condition coming out of something unprecedented that we haven't seen before? Where, where do you think we'll be as a, uh, a race, the human race, um, in terms of looking at the alien question after all of this? It's a big, broad question, but I'd love to get your yeah. thoughts on where can we even begin to uh, ask that question? Man, that's that's such a really important question. I mean, you look at it like, you know, how does humanity react in, in the face of strife, you know? I mean, just look. I mean, you see people band together during natural disasters and, and acts of terrorism. I think this is no different. Um, I think there needs to be, obviously, more solidarity amongst the people. Uh, I think they, a lot of that comes from our leadership in this country. Uh, there's no reason why Florida beaches should be open. I live in Houston, uh, which is the fourth largest city. As of right now, there's no lockdown yet. And I think people get scared of the word lockdown. Lockdown doesn't mean you can't leave your house. It just means you, you, you can only leave for important things like groceries and doctor's appointments, you know. 
So I think people get kind of scared about that, you know, but it's just, I'm worried because a lot of people are putting the idea of the economy over people's lives and the economy has potential to rebound. We have the money. You can put $1.5 trillion in the Wall Street. You can, you can help out the people. You know, what I was reading, I'm not sure when this is running, but, you know, I was saying today was, what I was reading today was they may be pressured to send people back to work in like two weeks just to get the economy going again, which would just really end up costing probably in the long run, it's going to cost the economy more because more people are going to be in the hospital, more people are going to be dying. So it's like, what do we value as a society? Do we value money or do we value life? So, you know, that's kind of like, it's, it's weird because like it's showing, you know, greed is showing its ugly head right now. You know, like you have people, you know, the, the people who are staying in, you know, doing it for the people with immune problems and for the older people, like that's great. You know, but then you also have the people who are like who are in charge who are who are not, you know, not doing what needs to be done. So it's it's frustrating that they're at this time people could still be greedy, they could still be ignorant, they could still not see the big picture. So how we come out of this, I don't know. I just hope we do, you know, so we things could kind of normalize and if we learn anything, we you know, I think we need to learn how to better deal with this in, in the future and yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. You know, we've we've seen some memes going around and conspiracies running rampant. And, uh, you know, there's probably a little truth to everything here and there, but uh, it's dangerous when it comes to conspiracies. Um, So, yeah, I I feel the same way. I think just do what needs to be done, and that's to stay in and to be healthy, be smart. And um, look, that person next door to you, that person below you, that person across the street, they're all suffering right now like you are. So you're not the only one out of work. That's what I want everyone to, I, I, I'm out of work for God knows how long, but so is the person next to me and the person next to me. So I think you're right. If we can find inspiration in our leadership and work together on this and show some alien civilization that we as a planet can come together when it comes to something this globally affecting, hopefully they'll welcome us into the Galactic Federation, I guess. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I hope so too, man. Well, Mike, this has been extremely refreshing. I needed this. You needed this. We all need to just keep doing this, having conversations, talking about the stuff we love, which is always UFOs. And I have no doubt that somehow, some way, we will get through this and we'll be having these UFO conversations more and more as time goes on for all my listeners and viewers, where can we find everything you're up to, man? And, uh, what's going on with you? Uh, yeah. Punk rock and UFOs.com. I'll be still be doing stories here and there. I don't know what's in the works yet, but yeah. And like I said, hopefully the third book changes than fiction, hopefully this summer, just trying to find a good home for it. So as soon as I find a home, hopefully it'll be out. So yeah. Well, I got to thank you again for coming on Somewhere in the Skies, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. It's always a pleasure being on here. So, yeah, appreciate it. That's it for this week's episode. Again, check out all of Mike DeMonte's work over at punkrockandufos.com. If you haven't already, please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review Somewhere in the Skies on Apple Podcasts, your Android apps, or wherever you get the show. It helps us gain visibility and find new listeners. Thank you for your support. This week's interview with Mike DeMonte is also available in video format. Make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel to watch it now. Just search for the Ryan Sprague channel to watch. You can find us on Twitter at Somewhere Skies and Instagram at Somewhere Skies Pod. If you haven't already, check out the bonus episode featuring some of the leading paranormal, UFO, and esoteric podcast hosts and researchers out there. 
and how they are dealing with the current global pandemic. Check that out right now on the main feed. Lastly, if you'd like to share a personal UFO story with me, or to contact me, head on over to the official website and use the contact tab. That's at somewhereintheskies.com. Pending any coronavirus, I will see you here next week. Please stay safe and be well. And as always, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching somewhere in the skies. Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. To learn more, visit entertainmentonepodcast.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com.